Good morning, everyone. Great to see everybody out today. Glad to be here with you folks. Um, so there's me visiting. I'm uh, Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my joy and privilege this morning to uh, open up the Word of God and uh, try to bring a, a message from there. Glad to see everybody today. I was just uh, checking in to make sure the live stream was working and everything. I was saying hello to everybody's tuning in. Um, we actually, does anyone know a uh, Olamide? Does anyone know Olamide? I'm not sure if he was related to someone here. We have someone watching. Hello, Olamide. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Um, from uh, Nigeria is tuning in this morning. Says that this is his brothers. I think he may be related, or maybe you're related to Reuben, um, who we support over there. So uh, great to have you tuning in. Say hello to the folks over there and to Reuben for us. Appreciate you taking time to join us. I don't know what time it is over there. I imagine it's uh, afternoon, evening, few, seven, 12 hours ahead, maybe. But uh, welcome. Um, and I'm glad all you are here. Other folks who are tuning in as well. Um, but he put a, something in the chat, so I wanted to um, recognize that. That here we are, worshiping the Lord and stretching out all across the world. Crazy world we live in these days, isn't it? Um, yeah, so uh, we, uh, if you want to find your way, we are going to be studying in First John. We're going to be starting a new study, um, walking through uh, this short letter, this short book. Um, and uh, this will be the, the first lesson on that. And so uh, I invite you to go ahead and find your way there. A few things about this. It's kind of a back-to-the-basics book in some ways. People think of 1 John, oh, yeah, that's, and sometimes we're going to gloss over it because, oh, we already know all that. It's all really basic stuff. But I want us to hopefully push back against that and realize that um, the basics are important. And um, they are foundational and fundamental and we should never get tired of them. We should never uh, chalk it up and say we know them. Uh, every time I think of these types of things, I remember Tiger Woods. Anybody know Tiger Woods? Any golf fans here? A few. For those who don't know, Tiger Woods is one of the best golfers of all time, possibly the best, um, depending on who you ask. But uh, he uh, had a great career and came to a point and won a tournament, but he felt like he was... His swing was kind of getting off, but he won. He was very successful. And he took like the next six months off and completely had a coaches come in and rebuild his swing from the ground up. He basically deconstructed his whole thing and said, I just need to start over from the beginning. But you, you just won. <laughs> Where are you going to go from there? He's like, now, I, okay, I may have won and, you know, I'm glad I did, but something's not right. I need to get back to the basics. So we can be doing great and we can be doing well. But if we get to rely on those successes or get distracted by things around us, then the, the basics, the foundation, what I've called the core of our Christian living, can start to fall and won't sustain us to where God may take us. So I think it's going to be a great study for us. I think it's going to be a very unifying study for us. And I pray that God will bless this. I do want to take a, just a few moments and kind of give an overview of the letter itself. As far as, you know, what was the purpose of the letter? It was written um, by John. This was uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And uh, one of the disciples, the, who's referred to a few times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So certainly he was very close to Jesus. Um, there, he did not sign the letter, but it is universally accepted as far back as the earliest church fathers that this was written by um, the apostle John. Uh, the fact that it wasn't signed kind of indicates that the recipients knew him well. Um, he doesn't really have a uh, uh, 
preamble just kind of jumps right in. And so that kind of communicates that they probably had frequent communications with him. Uh, we also see that uh, it was very much in the same style, especially the opening and the closing, as his Gospel of John. So we'll look into that a little bit. Probably was written to churches in Asia Minor. Anybody know where Asia Minor is? Anybody know? Where's, what, what country is in Asia Minor today? Turkey. Exactly right. Very good. And um, so that's where he was. As far as the, the type of epistle, it's been called the family epistle. And the, the much familial language is used throughout here. You see um, father, son, little children. These phrases used over about 30 times in these five short chapters. And so it's a very warm letter. You see a sense of great deal of love and affection from uh, John, the author, to his um, readers and listeners. And it's kind of a contrast as we see Paul typically writing to the church and the churches it's a little different tone that we get from John as he's writing to his little children. And so I think we'll see this as we go through. They're both, you know, Scripture. They're both powerful. They're both beneficial. But there is definitely a difference in tone that we'll see as we go through that. Um, you know, Paul's proclaims the eternal truths of the church. You are justified eternally. I write to you as saints. Whereas John's like, you know, a little more practical. It's their familiar relationships sometimes have ups and downs. And he sort of paints that picture for us and how we navigate through that thing. So it turns out to be a very practical book, practical study, and we're looking forward to walking through this together. If we look at why it was written, um, the uh, historical theologians go and they say that uh, um, John was probably addressing an early heresy, probably Gnostic heresy. And uh, Ryan, I don't know if anybody's advancing those slides. I don't have a remote or anything, so we should be on about the second one if, if that's working um, there we go. Thank you. Um, yeah, why? So uh, this early Gnostic heresy had a couple of different main points. One, it questioned the deity and humanity of Jesus. Um, a couple of different wrinkles on that, but basically that, those are the two points that they questioned. And then their view on Christian living was that you know, everything physical was evil and everything spiritual was good, and you could never mix the two. So therefore they were... They, they, they said sin didn't matter, basically. And they said because sin you commit in your body. Your body's already evil. Your spirit is separated, so it's fine. So don't worry about it. Just don't, you know, sin's fine, and your spirit's separated from that. So these are the two heresies. And so a lot of people think that this is what he was addressing. And I think we'll see certainly the content of the letter does confront these things head on and does relate to them. But, you know, sometimes the, uh, we have these questions, but the text kind of answers it directly. And so when that's the case, I think we should probably look at those. What, why does the text, why does the author say he was writing? So I came up with four things that I looked and see in the book of why John wrote this letter to the churches. And the first one um, was for community. If we look in chapter 1, verse 3, we see I've written these, I'm writing these things proclaiming so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's writing it for that they would have fellowship and community together. We also look and see in chapter 2, verse 1, for obedience. He has written these things so that you may not sin. Third, we see for reassurance. Chapter 5, verse 13, writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And 
if you're an attentive listener and uh, you heard me speak about the core of Christian living, you may have realized I am doing an acrostic, so C-O-R, and so bear with me on this last one. I had to stretch it just a little bit because chords just didn't work. So for joy, I have chosen exultation, a uh, rough synonym for joy. So give me some uh, slack on that, but uh, again, core seems to be a lot more memorable and easy for us to focus and remember than, um, than uh, chords. Uh, But we look in chapter 1, verse 4, and we see that these are written, that our joy may be complete. And uh, it's interesting that Jade didn't have these notes when he led us in a family prayer time, but it's sweet to see how God is moving us to reflect on these items um, together. So these um, I have called the the core of Christian living. Um, It's not necessarily an outline for the book, but these are themes that we're going to see throughout. And so I encourage you to kind of keep this sort of skeleton in mind as so we, as we go through the different weeks and studies and sermons through here, you can kind of see how, oh, this is relating to community, this is relating to obedience, this is relating to the reassurance, and this is relating to our exaltation. And uh, so I think that'll be helpful for us. And with that, um, I'd like to go ahead and read today's uh, section. We're going to look at the first four verses. So I invite you to stand with me as you would and um, just listen along as I read aloud the first four verses of First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Pray with me. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us these thousands of years, Lord, later, that we can see the truths that that you have preserved for us to, to learn and to grow from. And as we reflect on these things this morning, Father, and I attempt to bring a message, would you speak through me to your church and to myself, Lord? Would you minister to us and open our, the eyes of our mind and heart, Lord, so that we can understand these truths and be transformed and changed by them? And we thank you for the work you're doing, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Easier to see up there than it is back there, because I can hardly read it back there, but hopefully you can see this okay. Um, as I mentioned, there is a lot of similarities uh, to John's gospel, and uh, I'm going to just read a few verses from that, and you'll see some of the parallels here in John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're going to see this language in next week's sermon very clearly and directly. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You can see a lot of the similarities here. And right off the bat, we understand that uh, where this idea comes from, that they were, that He was addressing these heresies, because just in the first sentence, he strongly defends both the humanity and the deity of Jesus. That which was from the beginning. Okay, this is not something that someone he just met in his life when he was, you know, a young man. 
but he's speaking of that which was from the beginning of time, the eternality of Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard audibly with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes. And he reinforces, we have looked upon. This idea of looked upon. Um, I was like, why do they have seen with their eyes and looked upon? It's a more intense uh, of gazing upon. Actually, the Greek word is where we get our word theater. Um, and you know I love movies. And, but you go there and, you know, it's a horrible date. It's a horrible first date. When I was younger, we'd go on a good dating and stuff. And we'd tell, oh, let's go to a movie. Horrible date because what are you doing? You're sitting there gazing at the screen for two hours, except for the occasional time we're looking for the popcorn or your drink, right? So it's a horrible way to get to know someone, but it is the idea of fixing your eyes. And so it's not they just they didn't just glimpse him from a distance, but they were gazing upon him, looking upon him, fixing upon him for extended periods of time. We touched with our hands. You know, John wrote this, and at the Last Supper, where did we see John? Resting on Jesus. <laughs> Think about this. John actually heard the heartbeat of God. Does that just sort of make you say, whoa? So he's proclaiming and testifying this. Touched with our hands. All these things concerning the word of life. And they know from his gospel he refers to Jesus as the Word. The Word became flesh, and he emphasizes that here, verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he's talked about the humanity, you know, that face-to-face, real life. We heard, we saw, we gazed upon, touched, rested on, loved, hugged. But he was with the Father eternally. This eternal life from the beginning was with the Father. So right in the first sentence, he's packing so much in here um, to address this simply. He's already made his defense in his gospel, but he's just reinforcing this quickly and very effectively. He's with the Father. The eternal life was made manifest to us. And that's true for us. You know, we didn't live at the time he was walking the earth, but we have the testimony of eyewitnesses. We have the testimony of folks who experienced him in this unique way. And so we have the, the benefit of looking back and learning from them and being encouraged by them and being taught by these great men who uh, walked day and day with Jesus. Verse 3 picks up that which, reinforcing that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And so this is going to get into our first point today. We're going to have look at two of the, the core items today. We're going to see community, and we're going to see exaltation. And so here we see in verse 3, what, what is it that makes our community work in the church? What is it that makes our community function and work? There's two things. One, there's a common foundation. He, why is he writing? In verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And what is he doing? He's that which we have seen and heard of Jesus. We're proclaiming that to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. See, this, this Christian fellowship, it has a common foundation. Most close relationships have a common foundation, right? 
Now, Jade and I don't have a lot in common. You know, I work in medicine and give shots and pick people's noses. He, he works under cars, you know, and, uh, you know, does things mechanically. We don't, we don't have a lot of common foundation, but when we come to church, we have a common foundation of Jesus, right? Levi and I don't have a lot of common foundation, I'm older than him, you know, and he's catching up on the kids, but I've got more kids than him, you know. Again, my, my vocation is quite different than his. Um, he's from a different area geographically than I, you know, but we have this common foundation of Jesus. And so as we seek to establish community and fellowship, let's remember it's got to be based on the fundamentals of the faith. I think of this idea of fellowship. Um, I, remember I heard a long time ago when I was a kid and it stuck with me. Um, what is fellowship? It's two fellows in the same ship. Right? Because if you're not, you know, think if you're in a, in a, on a boat with two guys, you and another guy or girl, you know, you're going to have to get along. You know, especially like a little small, like a little canoe. Right? That's why I first heard this talked about. You're like two guys in a canoe. Because if, you're, if one guy's wanting to go this way and one guy's wanting to go that way, you're not going anywhere. Right? Anybody ever canoed? Okay. Now, I know a lot of times my wife and I canoe, and she's happy to go wherever I go because she's going to have that paddle, and she'll, she'll do a stroke every once in a while if she thinks about it. But it's me back there paddling. So I'm, yeah. But, you know, I've also paddled with, you know, when I was younger with other guys, and we had to be on the same page. You know, because if we wanted to do one thing and the other, and we had to communicate, otherwise the boat would be going in circles, too much on one side, and not, you know, and so it had to work together. So this idea of fellowship, and uh, we were recently reminded of this in a different way, and uh, if you can advance the next slide, we uh, recently, my wife and I were blessed to head down to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary in a beautiful island called St. Lucia, um, down in the Southern Caribbean, and I remember we went to the airport we flew from Charlotte to Atlanta and then nonstop from Atlanta to St. Lucia. And, of course, in the airport, you've got all these people, and you're standing there in lines, and lines are very long. And it's like, okay, well, what are you doing? So you try to find you know, these strangers. But you want to, you know, be, be sociable and be friendly. And at first, you're like, oh, you're getting, we're all getting on a plane. That's our common foundation. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to North Dakota. Ugh. Where are you going? St. <laughs> Lucia. And I go, like, oh, I wish I was going down there. I said, yeah, sorry. You know, you know. We didn't have anything in common, you know. And so then we get through the airport lines, and then we got onto the plane to Atlanta. Now we have some of the more commonalities. The first thing, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Belize. Oh, interesting. What are you doing down there? Doing some diving. Oh, okay. Where are you going? St. Lucia. Okay, well, whatever. He knew. Everybody on this plane is going to the same place we are. Everybody here is going to St. Lucia. We are celebrating something. What are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? Oh, you come here all the time? Wow, I'd love to be you. So we're talking to everybody, and everybody's like, yeah, it's our first time. It's our 10th time. We just got married. We're going to get married. We're celebrating 25 years. People's eyes bug out, and we tell them that, didn't they? Whoa, 25. How in the world? So, uh, but we had this common foundation. We had this common direction. And we were all in the same ship going to the same place. And that created a bond of fellowship, a bond of community there for just a short time. How long are you staying? Where are you staying? And the people who were staying in the same place we were, man, we just really gave hot to them. That's where we're staying. Oh, my goodness. You ever been there? No, I can't wait to do this. And, and so we even had an even closer bond, right, because we had this common foundation where we were just going to be for a few days. And that was all it took. That's just a event 
But it reminded me of this idea of community and this common foundation of ground which is built. And it's good that we know this and we have built this, but John knew this and was happy to remind them. He was happy to proclaim this to them anew, to reinforce those bonds of community and fellowship. And again, a lot of the stuff in 1 John is not deep doctrine. It's kind of the core. You can't get much core than the foundation built on Jesus Christ. If we look at the other thing about this Christian community, it has a common foundation, but it has an uncommon relation. Continuing on in verse 3, he goes and he clarifies. It's not just a club. It's not just a society, an organization. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's who our fellowship ultimately is with. Yeah, it's our fellowship. He's including the church he's writing to. But he's reminding them, listen, it's not just us coming together. And having a meal and singing some songs and giving some money, it's more than that. Our fellowship is with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, who is in heaven making intercession for us. This is what sets the church community apart from anybody else. A lot of these other organizations and stuff have this sort of horizontal component, you know, other people. But we all have an uncommon relationship in that we are fellowshipping directly with the God of the universe. What does this look like to fellowship with the Father? What does that mean, to fellowship with the Father? It's the truth, and we can celebrate, and it sounds great. Yeah, we fellowship with God Almighty. What, what does that mean? That's, what, what does that mean when we say fellowship with the Father? We're going to have a little interaction this morning, so feel free to, to speak up. We're going to try to have a little interaction this morning, I should say. And they say when you're having interaction in groups like this, you should ask the question and then just be quiet. So what does it mean? What does it look like practically? What is something that is fellowship with the Father? Prayer. Where we're talking to him. What else? Reading the Bible. We're listening to his word talking to us. It's really pretty simple. When you're fellowshipping with someone, when you're in community with someone, God or another person or anybody, what, what, how, what does that look like? You're in their presence. You're around them. Maybe over Facebook Live from Nigeria. But ultimately, you're in their presence. You're around them. You're spending time with them. You're communicating with them. So as we go through life, communing with him through prayer and through Bible reading, relying upon him for our decision-making, for our um, survival, for our provision, proclaiming his greatness to those around us, within our community and without. As we go through life doing these things, this is how we spend time with him. This is how we fellowship with him. So let's don't, let's don't gloss over these church words. We had uh, a youth retreat a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were blessed to have a guest speaker come in for one day, um, Chris from uh, FCA up in the Salisbury area. And he challenged us 
at the very beginning of his talk to get rid of those church ears. Remember that, kids? What are church ears? Remember what church ears were? Nobody? I won't tell Chris that no one could answer what church ears were. He'll be very disappointed. Exactly right. They're the ears that receive this sort of language and don't really process it. They're kind of dull. They say, oh, yeah, they're reading the Bible. And they sort of check out. Oh, yeah, fellowship with God. Oh, amen. But they don't really process it. They don't internalize and really re, you know, seek to look anew on what does this mean? How does this affect me today where I am? So get off your church ears. All right, the sermons that are going to be around these core concepts Hear them with fresh ears. Hear them with new life, uh, with, with new understanding. And uh, that's how we need to approach them. So in, this idea of community is that we see a common foundation and the uncommon relation. Moving on in our text, in verse 4, we come and see this idea of exaltation and joy. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. On translation, you have a lot of them translate that, your joy may be complete. Um, this is one of the uh, most challenging textual uh, variants. In fact, it goes back and forth. <laughs> Every uh, few years, they'll put out a new um, Greek text, and they'll go back and forth, your, our, your, our. Ultimately, it's the same thing, because John's love for these people is so evident and so deep that if their joy is complete, his joy is going to be complete. So... We can talk more about that if you're into that kind of stuff. But suffice it to say that if you say your or our, I think that the spirit is the same. That it's the joy of the church would be complete. And that's what we're looking for. So I have taught on joy uh, recently. And we prayed for joy this morning. And this verse doesn't really give us a lot of insight into joy. He's saying these things we're writing. So it is the truth about Jesus. But the rest of the letter, I think, is for the purpose of completing and fulfilling our joy. So I, f- I feel like, um, honestly, it be, might be beneficial if we took some time and just had some discussion as a family about joy. And I want to start with kind of a definition that I found. Probably, I think it's the best definition I have found It's not unique to me. I mean, it's not original with me, but it's one that I've adopted as my own. And I think that the joy of the Lord is this gladness of heart that comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit. The next slide should have that listed on there, Ryan, if you want to advance that for me. Gladness of heart that comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are familiar truths that are being taught. And he's writing them so that our joy may be complete. So, is it? Is our joy complete? These are things we all know. These verses in 1 John are very familiar. 
so I just want to, like I say, I've taught on this recently. I don't know if everybody was here or was able to, to watch the replay on that. But I just want to open it up and say, you know, what questions do you have about the joy of the Lord? You know, we see throughout Scripture that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Are you hearing that with church ears? Or are you hearing that as it was intended? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Is it? And what does that mean? What does that look like? What, 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 what struggles do we have with joy? What, what questions do we have about joy? Stephen? How is joy different than question was, how is joy different from happiness? It's a great question. Um, and I think biblically, we can see that people had joy. People were rejoicing in the Lord when there was nothing happy going on. Right? Who can give me an example from the Bible of someone who expressed joy in the Lord when their circumstances were miserable? Ethan? Daniel? Daniel? Yeah. Um, I think definitely he, uh, I, don't, I don't remember referencing specifically to joy, but I know that he certainly was not afraid of the negative circumstances he was in. And he certainly proclaimed that, I know the Hebrew children proclaimed that God would protect us in spite of these terrible circumstances. And it certainly wasn't a uh, depressed attitude. I think it was definitely a uh, um, triumphant, certainly I think an attitude of exultation and joy. Who else? Jerry? Paul and Silas. <laughs> Where were they? They were in a prison. <laughs> they were in a Philipp Philippian prison. And locked up for doing good, right? They hadn't committed you know, any horrible crimes. They, they, did, they should not have been there. And what were they doing while they were in prison? What? They were singing, singing praises to God. Singing, okay? And you know, I don't know the rest of the story. We'll get into it. But yeah, they had, their situation was nothing to be happy about. But they had this joy that caused them to sing. One more. Anybody got one more? David, when he was being pursued by Saul, yeah, and he did have some ups and downs, but I think ultimately, if you read through the Psalms, he trusted in the Lord, that the Lord was going to deliver him through all those things, and he had joy from the fact that he had in remembrance of what he had delivered him from the bear and the lion as a shepherd, and knew that he would also continue to deliver him from the hand of Saul, and yeah, it was miserable. He was on the run, right, and uh, just had a small band with him, and sometimes those guys weren't faithful, and yet, through that, we see, again, through the Psalms, that he was joyful. I'm reminded of, I think, Peter and John in Acts, when they were locked up and then let go, and then locked up and beaten, and they said they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. So, I think this idea of, of happiness is an emotion that tends to... Um, flow from our situation, okay? And it can change as fast as our situation changes. Um, I think that joy is a, a deeper thing, a deeper gladness of heart that still makes room for grief in hard times, that still makes room for um, sadness, but that fights against anxiety and fear. It doesn't always win 100%, because we don't exhibit it perfectly. But it, it pushes against those things because of ultimately 
knowing God, abiding in Christ, being filled with the Spirit. Happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So I think happiness, I would say, is a human emotion that we hope to experience in our lives more so than not. But God uses sorrow, the opposite of happiness. He uses the opposite of that in order to, to, to sanctify us, in order to grow us more into him. And I think there's a lot of conflation of happiness and joy. And um, we think, well, I'm not happy, therefore I must not have joy. This whole thing's a lie. But that's not true. Um, I think that that attitude is when we tend to focus on ourselves. All these people who had joy, none of them are focusing on ourselves. You think of Paul when he was in prison numerous times. And he was writing, I have joy when I think of you and remember of you. Okay, he, his joy came from his work and his ministry in the kingdom, his relationship with Jesus. It didn't come from, he's like, yeah, I look around here and I'm just so joyful. You know, you never see a joy in the fact that I'm in this prison. You know, they never joyed, they, their joy was never found in those situations. Those were sad, sorrowful situations, but their joy came from the recognition that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. What other questions do we have about joy? The question was, do I think there is a consistent emotion that accompanies joy? Um, I would say yes, um, but it's not happiness. Um, what do you guys think? So I have an answer. Ethan, I saw your hand. That was what I was going to say. Okay, so we're all on the same page. Contentment. So I believe that uh, the, the emotion, maybe mental state, I'm not sure if commitment, contentment would strictly be an emotion, but I think that would be the, the position of our heart, our feelings. Um, we would strive for contentment, which should flow out of joy. So that, yeah, you, you may be locked up in a prison um, and don't know what's going to happen the next day. You may be killed the next day. And yet... You're like, hey, it's all, about the, it's all for God's glory. And if this is our end, everybody's got to die sometime. And so I can be content in this state. Hey, let's lift our voices and praise God. He's still on the throne, amen? So a, I think we see contentment flowing consistently from these situations. Um, you know, where there's a range of other emotions that are probably going on. And yet we still see the joy in their hearts, and contentment, I think, flows from that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to probably think about it, that we, we can't control our emotions, right? Unless you're a Vulcan, anybody, any Star Trek he's in here? Unless you're a Vulcan, you can't control your emotions. Even Spock, who was half Vulcan and claimed he never had emotions, we saw in a couple of movies that he cracked and felt the emotion, right? You can't control our emotions, all right? And that's why joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and I think we forget that, that as um, we have this things ups and downs in life, that, yeah, as we are abiding, as we're knowing God, abiding in Christ and being filled with the Spirit, you know, that joy will be borne out in sort of a steady thing and then contentment along with that. I think that's a good way to think of it. Jennifer. I think I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So he's talking about a lot of the things as, as, a, as a child, you're... You have that childlike joy we think of, this wonder and excitement just about life in general. And I think what you're getting at is that through all the things that would happen, good, bad, and ugly, you knew that 
your parents had you, that they were going to be there for you, so that even when something bad happened, you knew how to get it resolved. Mama, <laughs> Daddy, you didn't have a solution, but you knew that they did. And so when you were scraped your knee, you didn't just say, oh, I scraped my knee, I guess I'm going to die. Did you say that to yourself and just lay there and, and bleed out? Yes. You didn't run to mom and dad? <laughs> were you dramatic after you were with your mom and dad? Or you was... For a while. Yeah. Another story. Another story. No analogy's perfect, right? No analogy's perfect. But I think, I think what we're picking up from this is, as children, that they don't articulate these things and parse through all this kind of stuff. But the fact is that they... You know, and they have emotional swings and highs and lows. But ultimately, they, they know when they have something bad, they run to mom and dad. And that gets them through those things. So I think there are some parallels there to the fact that we as Christians, as we know God. Now again, I threw out this definition. And thank you for pushing back on that because we don't want to hear it with our church ears. Right? What does it mean to know God? Right? Well, it means we know who he is, that he's a good father, that he loves us, that he, as I've heard said, bankrupted heaven to redeem us and to pay the penalty for our sins. That's who God is. As we know that and know that he loves us, he wants us to make our requests known to him. He wants us to come to him and that we have an advocate with the father who is Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ are very closely related because, again, this joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And what does John 15 tell us? That as we, that Christ is the vine, and as we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. So abiding in him, again, the same idea of fellowship and community with him, that we're in his presence. Abiding in the vine is that you're attached to the vine, and you can't be separated from it. There's no virtual connections to the vine, right? You've got to be physically connected. And so as that happens, I think that's where this joy, this gladness of heart that even in difficult situations knows that God still got us. So another hand. John, thankful journal. That's good. Yeah. And um, certainly we, we, we see that. And, you know, obviously, like you said, we have the examples of Scripture. And those are helpful to us, but there's nothing like your personal experience, is there? There's nothing like that. Um, to can, so for those who may not have heard, John talked about trust being really the foundation and piggybacking off what Jennifer had said in my comments there. And so he's saying that trusting in God, the confidence that we have comes from our seeing him work in the lives around us, in the lives in Scripture, but really in our own lives. And that as we see his faithfulness in spite of our lack of faithfulness and our unfaithfulness, we see his consistent presence and work and um, love really allows us. And again, that goes back to the idea of knowing God. And as we're knowing him and knowing him more and more um, through our experiences with him. Is this helpful? What are the questions that we have about joy? Mike, that's a tough question. Um, and uh, let me a moment to think about it. The question was, uh, understanding all we've said about joy... You know, looking at <clears throat> the last hours of Jesus' life, his passion, his suffering in Gethsemane and in the actual crucifixion, 
Um, you know, what do we learn about joy through that? Is that a fair question? Is that a re- fair restatement of your question? So, we don't see, I, don't, I can't think of any words of testimony in Scripture that speaks to any positivity during that time frame. Yes? So that's hope. He's looking forward to what the cross would accomplish. Yeah, I, th- I think that's very true. And um, we look at the actual events. We don't see any, um, anything good. He was abandoned. Um, he was let down by his disciples. They all ran away. And then obviously the, the, the physical abuse, the um, spiritual separation, the weight of sin being put down upon him. There was nothing good about those series of events. Even he didn't want to go through them, in a sense. His prayer was, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine. So there was nothing in, in those events. There was nothing. But as Hebrews 12 and as Stephen just read, it was going through that time. You know, He knew what was on the other side. And the other side for him was the redemption of his church, of his bride, of his people, of us. And so he was willing to go through that hell on earth because of the hope that he had, the the confidence, the trust, the joy that was on the other side of that. So, Mike, I I think you raise an excellent point that there will be times in our life, there will be situations that are so dark that we can find nothing joyful about that at the moment. And I think that the joy of the Lord in that, sin, in that moment is our strength to get through there knowing that, you know, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. I can't see how any of this is going to be good, but I know that my Father has me, take, has me I can trust Him, have confidence in that. And so... With that, some that comes that sense of contentment that, wow, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I know I'm going to get through it. And that's where we get Paul's sentiment. For me to live is Christ, so if I get through it, I'm going to continue to, pray, you know, to um, proclaim Christ to those around me. But to die is gain. You know? And so to die is to be with him. So whatever this situation, we can't see the end of it yet, but it's so dark and so hard and so painful, even through that, we can have this sense of joy and contentment in that we know there's going to be an end to it, and we know that on the other side, it's not for no purpose. There's no purposeless evil happening to us. There's, God is working all those things together for the good to those who believe, who love him. <laughs> should, we, should we pause the live stream? <laughs> yeah, I think that is... Uh, a very good example as someone who's never been through it <laughs> either. Um, but I think the Bible even refers to that, that, you know, the woman is travailing and laboring through this. But as soon as the baby's there, oh, that's forgotten. Oh, that's forgotten. And, you know, while the woman may say, oh, I wish it would stop, they would never say, make it stop, because then they wouldn't have their baby. Okay, epidurals and narcotics. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, 
I, I think in the, in, the, in the moment they may express that. But I think that ultimately they would not. I think they would say, no, let's, I'm going to go through this. From someone who has been, let's hear, let's hear a voice of experience instead of the voice of conjecture. <laughs> I think similarly, I might parse it out a little differently. Just, you know, as we get down, um, I think that the trust and confidence comes from knowing God and abiding in Christ. And from that flows this, this, this gladness of heart. Maybe contentment is a little more, but I think that the trust and confidence is part of this knowing God. And from that is where the joy flows. And it's not always a, a happiness, as we spoke to earlier, but it is this, this, this gladness of heart. And that's probably not the best word even, gladness, but it's the best word I could find. Um, and this idea that even in the, the, the hardest, darkest times, that we can have this sense of contentment that, you know, this is really bad, but I know God's working through it. I know God's working through it. And that may not make you feel happy, but that's, I think, this fruit of the Spirit of joy that can keep us from just being crushed under the weight of these circumstances and these situations that we find ourselves in. So I think they're very, very close. I think they do proceed from trust and confidence, but I might describe them a little bit differently, just as two different entities. Um, that uh, you know, just because you know the joy does is described as, and, and peace rolls in there. You know, the fruit of the spirit. They, a lot of them have interconnecting interconnectivity to them, and they're hard to separate completely. Um, we can kind of say, well, it's mostly this and mostly this, but then, you know, two mountains that sort of roll, you know, you know, are connected in the past. And where does one stop and one begin? Only God knows. Yes, Mike. Yeah, good question. I, let, me, let me give you a quick answer, and then I'll use a, an illustration as well. I think the quick answer is that we all know that ultimately we have a good result. God has promised that in his word. That's why it comes from knowing God. And knowing that, you know, he's working out all things to, according to his perfect plan for those who love him. And so there's that knowledge that ultimately God's going to work it all out to our good, to his glory. I think, you know, great example of what you're talking about, a, a situation that's so dark you never see any good thing. And I think of, um, in the book of Acts, I think about Stephen's family, Stephen's wife. You know, here's a faithful man, you know, and loves God and is preaching, and you see him stoned right before your very eyes by rocks. Stoned by rocks. Yeah, take off your church ears. Yeah, not not stoned by other substances. <laughs> he is murdered by stoning. Is that better? Thank you. You know who's tuned in. So, yes. Um, so, so, so we, we see this event. And what happens after that? This great body, this great community of church is thrown across the world. Everybody leaves in fear. I don't know if his family left or not. I don't know what they did. But let's think about them sometimes. How did they process that? I mean, there's nothing that they saw good. They lost their, their father, her husband, the spiritual leader, faithful man of God, leader in the church, one of the first deacons. Their church community, they lose them as they all flee. I don't know if, I don't know if they ever 
saw what we see, that God used that to send the gospel to us. I mean, really, if you think about it, to, to, to the world, to the Gentiles, and spread and disperse those we call it the diaspora of when the church was spread out. And it happened from that event. And it was horrible. And I don't know if she ever understood that until she got to heaven. I don't have a great answer, Mike, except to say that I don't think anybody's going to know how to respond until they're in a situation like that. You know, we see from the, the apostles who were there, what, what do you think Stephen would have said? You know, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, into my hand, that was Jesus. He looked up and said, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. You know, and I think his testimony would have been, God will use this. And I'm thankful. I am rejoicing in the fact that I am counted worthy to suffer. So, in our lives, what does that mean? It's a hard question. And it's a case-by-case basis. I mean, I can give a glib answer. Yeah. Oh, it's the joy of the Lord. Yeah, it comes from knowing. I could restate these things we stated. But the fact is that when we're in those situations, Mike, there, there are no easy answers. And when, when someone's going through that, and they're, they're, are, they're very hard things. Um, you know, I've been through hard things, you know, but there are worse things out there than, not, than I've been through for sure. And I think there comes a time when two things. Let me say two things. One, in those situations is not the time to try to understand this concept. Okay, when you're in that dark a moment, is not the time for somebody to come along and say, "Well, the joy of the Lord is your strength." Hey, buck up there, young sir. Okay, you'll be okay. You know, that's, that's a hard message to hear in the moment. So I want us to learn this truth now, make it a part of our foundation, make it part of our you know life um, perspective, our worldview that this joy of the Lord that comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that when these times come, we'll have this truth understood and to draw on and to help sustain us. But sometimes, Mike, when, it's, when you're in a situation like that, all you can do is just love people. All you can do is just hurt with them. You know, the Bible says weep with those who weep. It doesn't say preach to those who weep, right? So there is times that weeping is, is appropriate, you know, but you know, the Bible talks about we, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. So even in our grief, hopefully we can experience the joy of the Lord. You know? And sometimes we can just hurt with people, weep with them. We can pray on their behalf that the Spirit would bear out that fruit of joy in their lives. We can't muster it up on our own. We, don't, we can't forget that. You know, if we don't have enough joy, it's not just that, oh, we're not trying hard enough. You know? Shekinah, what do you have to share? Hang on, Shekinah, I want everybody to hear this. No, I just want you to share it. I want everybody to hear. I know you've got a story to tell. Uh, she, she, she had is cancer that, when I was 17. And this is my her mother, mom she's referring to. And uh, it was a very, very aggressive cancer, and I'd never seen such suffering in my life, especially not to someone I love, but period. Um, and it was so, it just ate her up. And like my dad didn't recognize her when he went into her room, that type of thing. Like, we couldn't see her for two months. They were scared we'd be, you know, traumatized for life. And um, 
my mom, she handled it with grace, but I know she was terrified. And she did not want to leave her nine babies, you know. And um, so she walks through this nine-month journey. And let's see, probably two weeks before she went to heaven, she couldn't talk anymore. And um, she went probably a week without being able to say anything. And then um, my dad was realizing it was coming to the end of her journey. She fought really hard for nine months. And uh, he would ask her, you know, are you, are you ready? Are you at peace? He would just ask her different questions. And um, something happened. And I think Jesus showed her, A, that it was going to be okay, that we were going to be okay. And then he, whatever he showed her, every question, she answered goodness. That's all she could say. Everything my dad asked her, she'd say goodness, and she'd smile. She'd hold his face, and then she could sing hymns. I'm not even making this up. She could praise Jesus after the most horrible experience of her life. And that stuck out so hard to me. That was a huge comfort to me as a kid. But I had not experienced that goodness of God. I read about it. <clears throat> and I wanted it. I was way too angry. Um, and I've, <clears throat> we've walked through other difficult things, and it's hard, like, I know, I know y'all serve people and y'all see great suffering. And, um, but he was right there with her. And she was able to leave us in God's hands. And good Lord knows if she'd seen him from this whole time, she's probably been on her knees praying <laughs> this whole time. But, um, but I, I just want to say I, I've gotten, it's only this year. I'm 34 now. I was 17 then that I have tasted of the goodness of God. And I asked him for it. Like, I just need to know you're with me. That's all. I don't care about anything else. Because if he's with us, that's something that can't be taken away, you guys. Like, that's what it is. It's the knowing. That everything else could be taken away from you, but that can't be taken away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even death itself. And it's a terrifying thought. I still wrestle with it. But it's the ultimate trust that Jennifer was talking about. That until the end, and, and he grows you and he shows you, and you got to ask him. Ask him for that peace. Ask him for that joy. And love each other deeply because that's where you taste it. Through the hands and feet of Christ. You really do. It's not guaranteed that he's going to reach down from heaven and give us that special touch. Because he already did what he set out to do. But it is a belief, and I know Jesus knew that. He knew what his father was going to do. But he suffered so hard as a human. He begged Jesus, if you can, take it away from me. He begged his father. And he still did it, you know. So I just think as soon as we obey and Jesus is exalted, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's with us, Right. But it shows up even more when we have to do hard, hard things for Christ. And, um, and, then, and it's just a sweet, I don't know, it's, 
it has, I was just going to say, um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It says that. And I have been sick most of my life. My heart has been sick. My body and my mind has been sick. And because my hope is gone. So what do we believe? What do we, what did I believe? I didn't believe. That's what came came down to. <laughs> I didn't trust him. I didn't believe in him. I didn't believe he was going to do what he was said he was going to do. And then you realize, and it's not always what you wanted it to be. And he changes your heart to want what he wants. That's what you have to ask him, realizing like, wow, there's no way that could lead to joy. But it's, it's something that can't be found here. That's the key. We can experience it a little bit, but it's going to be found incomplete, like perfectly. He said, perfect love casts out all fear. And when we, when we are in his presence, every fear is going to be gone because we're experiencing perfect love. So just, I didn't really answer the question. I just wanted you to know that I saw that. And that was from Jesus. And it, I think if we just need to ask him for it. So that's it. Hey, thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate that. Honor that. You just kind of you could you could have kept that to yourself, but I think the church is better for having heard from it. So we, we appreciate you uh, you doing that, folks. Our time is gone, and uh, we still got more service to do. But uh, I mean, we're gonna have a fellowship meal. We can keep talking about this. We can keep interacting on this, and I hope we will. Sometimes we wrap these things up and like, well, button that up. It's all done. It's not done. We can keep talking for another hour. Well, let's, let's go do it. Quickly, to wrap up, um, you now see that when I said the core of Christian living, the title probably was better um, listed that way with the periods as their abbreviations. So let's remember this idea of community and obedience, reassurance, and exaltation. Jade, come lead us in, the, in communion um, as we... Uh, moving to the next part of our service. I love you guys, and uh, I, w- I want the joy of the Lord for us all. And uh, you know, let's, keep, let's keep discussing this. Let's keep talking. Let's keep reminding and spurring each other on to, uh, to trust and contentment and all these things we talked about. This is, this is good. This is good.